Amen. If you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just going to take one verse there for our reading. Once you get there, if you can, stand with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Very well-known verse. Just one verse. It's verse 7 that we'll read uh, as we stand together this morning. I'll read it audibly. Praise the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's all read this verse together this morning. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. Praise the Lord. We're all there. Amen. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Father, this morning, bless your word. Anoint it. Lord, give us ears to hear. Speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we need your power. We need your anointing. We need the Holy Ghost. Lord, we realize everything else, Lord, of ourselves and every other activity that we do, Lord. Lord, unless you impart it and breathe upon it, Lord, it is nothing. So, Lord, we just thank you that you have promised, Lord, as your word is opened, that you would anoint it. And, Lord, that you would speak, Lord, to our hearts afresh this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. I'm going to speak on... This verse, in one particular part of the verse, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This message is entitled, How Will You Finish? How Will You Finish? You know, this last chapter here is the final words of Paul the Apostle. Um, He's about to be beheaded uh, for the faith in Jesus Christ. He's writing from a cell in Rome. He's penning some final words to, uh, I believe, a generation that's coming behind him, in particular here, Timothy. He opens up in this chapter, chapter 4, with a charge. If you just turn back to it, you'll see. We just work through a few verses. A charge to Timothy before the Lord. Jesus Christ, who will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And he says, Timothy, there's going to come a time. There will be a time. And I believe that time has come. It's come many times over the history of the church, but I believe more than ever now as we are very much close to the appearing of Christ. The time will come when they will not endure. There there won't any longer be a response to the hearing of the truth. They won't want to hear sound doctrine. This is to the church, of course, that he's writing. But after their own lusts, their own desires, their own things, what they want to do, they will heap to themselves multiple teachers having itching ears. To understand what that means and how they <clears throat> appreciate these teachers, these men that will soothe what they want to hear and give them what they want to hear. Now, have you ever had <clears throat> an itch, sorry, a scratch in the center of your back that you can't reach? And I would say to Nikki, Nikki, would you just, just right in the center there, would you just scratch that? Or you, if Nikki's not there, you get the door and you get up against the door and you begin. And what does it feel like? Isn't it so satisfying? Oh, that's it. But this, this, the understanding of this is that there'll come a time that there'll be multitudes of teachers. There'll be so many that won't want to hear the sound truth of the gospel. They won't want to hear the truth of God's word. They'll find teachers that it makes them feel just so satisfied. That's what it means. It'll tickle their ears. They'll. It's like, we're so soothed by what they say. And if you present to them just the simple gospel message that was common amongst most of the churches, there'll be a rejection of such a gospel. How could you preach such a word? It's so foreign. It's so distant from what we receive on a Sunday. And we should really shouldn't be shocked at these things. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth. They'll no longer want to hear the gospel, the, the full gospel. of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul the Apostle preached and labored for some 25 to 30 years. They'll no longer want to hear the truth. 
the full counsel of God proclaimed because they'll have found teachers, they'll have found someone that soothes what they want to hear and they'll turn away from the truth. Is it happening? Paul says they'll be turned on the fables, that's myths or stories or extra biblical teaching. It's outside of the word. It's so fancy. It's so it's so elaborate. It's it's so profound in some ways as far as the communication goes. I met a guy just a, a few weeks ago, a lovely fella, and he was just stopped to talk, and we're talking for a few moments, and he says, so. Friday's your day off for Saturdays. Friday, Saturday, do you what do you do? Prepare? I said, yeah, normally try to take a couple of days, just two days. You must really try to be very creative. And there's a there's an aspect of this. This is all trying to bring new ways, new ideas, new presentations, but there's just nothing like the word of God preached. I know he wasn't, he was just being sincere. But to get before the Lord, to wait on the Lord, to hear from God, to hear his voice, to discipline your heart, to discipline your mind, to get before the throne and say, God, we need a word from heaven. And Paul says, verse 5, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work in evangelists, make full proof of your ministry, carry out what I'm leaving you to do fully. For I am ready to be offered, that word offered means the, the Greek word is spendo. In other words, I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to give all of this life now. My departure, Paul knew his time. The departure, his departure had come. The time of my departure is at hand. It is near. He's in a Roman, he's in a Roman uh, cell. He knows that the, that the guards are coming. He can practically hear their footsteps echoing down the corridor. He can hear the conversation. He knows it's, it's now time for Paul to leave this present world. Time has come. Time is up. And he, and he says these words, I have fought a good fight. Timothy, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love is appearing. He says, I have fought a good fight. And he talks about keeping the faith, one faith. Note what he says, there's one faith. There's only one faith. In a world of interfaith, multi-faith, faith forums, there's only one faith. That's the faith of Jesus Christ. And he says these words, I have, I want you to note it, just look at it. I have finished <clears throat> my, my, I have finished my course. I have finished my course, personal and individual. The last letter, letter of Paul, a man who penned most of the New Testament, is now penning his last few words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Finds himself if you turn back to the first chapter in Timothy here, I want to point a couple of things out. Second Timothy 1. He finds himself at the end of his life and the end of his ministry that in all the churches that he had planted and all the souls that he had seen saved and it was countless souls saved and countless churches that had been planted. Finds himself now, verse 15, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. Think about it for a moment. It's just, it's nearly hard to grasp. Here's a man sent out from Jerusalem with nothing but the power of the Holy Ghost and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through many signs and wonders, he went out preaching the gospel, planting churches, seeing souls saved, saving, seeing souls saved and churches planted. Is there anything else we should be praying for and believing for? Souls saved and churches established. That's the thing, that's the whole drive of the ministry of the New Testament church. Souls saved, but churches planted. And now at the end of it, he's sitting in the cell. He's thinking over it all of them that are in Asia. It's like the whole of the church in Asia had departed from him. Think about that for a moment. Think about the countless churches. Now the false teachers and the doctrines and the prophets, the false prophets, have begun to infiltrate the church 
The gospel that Paul had preached was no longer received by them. Paul's gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, no longer received. You nearly can't imagine that it could happen. The man that went out with the power of the Holy Ghost and seen these souls saved. Sometimes there was riots, but there was revivals. There was healings, deliverance, people raised from the dead. Souls were wonderfully saved. Churches were planted. Within a week, elders were raised up and deacons raised up and pastors and evangelists and apostles and teachers. Within a, And the power of the Holy Ghost is moving. And then just some 20, 25 years later, the whole of that region, the church, he's not talking about the whole of the population. He's talking about the people of God had turned from him. Paul's gospel was no longer received. I wonder, and I ask you this question because I think it provokes the thought. I wonder, is Paul's gospel received today? I wonder if Paul, the apostle, came and preached on our platform, would he be welcomed Would he be invited? Would he be asked back? In a day when we're told that deception will be rife, a day when we're told that darkness will come and false teachers and false prophets before the coming of the Lord, and the Lord warns us about the deception, he warns us about what will take place, and yet he said, all of the church of Asia have departed from me. No longer will they receive my teaching or my gospel. I wonder in our day, would Paul, would Paul be welcomed in our pulpits? Would he be welcomed in our, and amongst our fellowship? Would he be welcomed with the gospel that he preached? And so the Roman executor is at the door. The time of his departure now is at hand. And I just believe this. But I believe he stops for a moment as he's about to pen the words that we've read. In verse 7, that I've fought a good fight. I believe that now he's looking over an entire ministry. He's looking over an entire time of, of devotion and a life that he's lived, but he's walked with the Lord. He's, 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 like, he's, he's like taking that whole entire time and he's bringing it into the last few words that he would impart that he would impart to Timothy, and he looks over those 25 or 30 years. They say he got saved probably around his mid-30s and died when he was about 60. So these 25-odd years or so, 30 years, walking with the Lord, and he begins to look back over that whole life that he's lived. And he says the words, Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. He goes right back, I believe, to the time, that glorious time of salvation. That encounter with the Lord that's recorded in Acts chapter 9, but he testifies about it in Acts chapter 2. He gives more detail, Acts chapter 22, sorry. And he talks about this life that he lived, this testimony, as we heard the testimonies this morning, that He was binding and delivering those Christians and putting them into prisons, men and women. And he's going to Damascus to bring them which are bound to Jerusalem for to be punished. And in verse 6 it says, It came to pass as I made my journey and was come nigh on to Damascus about noon. When When the sun was high, when it was brightest. And then he says, suddenly, suddenly, there shone from heaven a great light round about me, some light that's greater than the light that's in the sky, the sun. And at that moment, he says, I fell to the ground. What a moment this is. I fell to the ground. And then he says these words, and I heard a voice. Isn't that awesome? I fell to the ground. And suddenly, he hears the voice of the shepherd. Saul, isn't it awesome how God works? Isn't it powerful how he can speak just in a moment? And from the time of his conversion, they reckon that's around AD 40. After that personal and glorious encounter with Jesus, we read of something crucial that happened in his life. Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 after he had met the Lord on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9 and verse 17 
tells us as Paul is sitting blind, Ananias is instructed of the Lord. This is when the Holy Ghost really begins to move and really begins to apprehend men and save the vilest of offenders and the church is raised up and prophets are sent out and men are told to go to such and such a door and such and such an address and God by His Spirit begins to lead them and the church is revived. And Ananias goes and went into the house first, 17, put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, has appeared unto thee in the way that thou camest and has sent me that you would receive thy sight. And here it was, friends, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Crucial. Crucial to be able to fight a good fight. Crucial to be able to keep the faith. Crucial to be able to say at the end of this life, I have, I have finished my course. The power of the Holy Ghost. Now we know that Paul, Paul is sent to God's great Bible school. He'd been to the greatest teachers of the time, but now he's about to experience God's Bible school. This is the best one that you can go to. If you feel called, if you feel called in the ministry, if you feel that God's drawn you in, here's the greatest Bible school you can go to. It's called a desert. It's called a wilderness. Galatians 1 and 17, he says, Neither did I go up to Jerusalem, which were the apostles were before me, but I went to Arabia. And returned again on Damascus. Then after three years. After three years. Three years. Three years. Saved. Filled with the Holy Ghost. And now three years. Arabia. Three years in the wilderness. Three years in the desert. Three years in the hot sun. Three years where there's nothing. Nobody. Three years just saw Paul and God. Just the dealings of God in a heart. Shut in with God. Called away into that place of a wilderness. Dry, barren, nothing. No distractions. No one drawn for your attention. But here God begins to deal with this man, Paul the Apostle. He laid his hand upon him. He saved him by his grace. He filled him with his spirit. But now God's beginning to do a work in this man, Paul. Three years in the desert. Three years in the wilderness. Three years of nothing but just God and a man and the dealings of God. Oh, how precious is God's great Bible school. Any takers? Anyone want to sign up? But you've been there, haven't you? Maybe even this morning someone is there. You're in the hot, wild desert. There's nothing. Nothing's happening. Nothing seems to take place. It's just Dark some days spiritually. It's hot some days. But there's the dealing of God with a man's heart. Just God and man. Nothing else. Just you and God. Shut away. Nothing else. God dealing with your heart. Sometimes you feel you're at the point even of insanity as God's dealing. Sometimes you might even question. Am I even saved in the midst of all of this? Sometimes you might feel so isolated and so alone. But God's dealing with his people. God's dealing with your heart. God's making you a vessel that he can use. God's stripping everything from you. God is dealing with his man. There's not many takers for the desert. But I want to tell you, friend, and you know it, that when a man or a woman responds to God, I say, God, I want more of you. And I want to go beyond where I am in the normal and the mundane things. And God says, I'll take you at your word. And he begins to draw you in to that desert. And he begins to draw you out into the backside of the desert. And he begins to deal with you. And straight away you say, oh God, what's happening? He's responding to the cry of your heart. He's responding to the desire that you have for God. He's, just, he's responding to that desire to serve Him with all of your heart. And then He begins to deal with you. He begins to strip it down and take it away. And all the crutches of this world. And leaning on your own understanding. And we don't like it. 
for God's dealing. The great things, great things come out of the wilderness. Great things come out of the wilderness. If you look down history, you'll find, and we've talked about him often, but there's an old man called Moses walking out of a wilderness with nothing but the word of the Lord and the power of the Holy Ghost. Set my people free! Great things come out of a wilderness. Forty years for Moses. Paul got three. I don't know how long I'll be in it, but friends, this morning, we want to yield our lives to God and let God do the work that only God can do. A new generation of conquerors came out of a wilderness after 40 years, a whole generation that would enter into the land of promise and overcome. Where did they come from? A wilderness. Elijah came out of a wilderness. John came out of the wilderness. The Savior himself, praise the Lord, came out of the wilderness after he had defeated the devil by the power of his word and he returned in the power of the Holy Ghost. There's a church that's going to come out of the wilderness. There's a people that are going to come out of this wilderness, friends, but they're not coming out with their own motive or their own agenda or their own ability. They're coming out in the power of the Holy Ghost. He's dealing with his people, isn't he? The desert with God is an amazing place. The desert with God. Next chapter 13. It simply says these words as Paul is looking over his life. I believe he's looking at these key moments in his life. Salvation. Being filled with the Holy Ghost. Being brought out into the wilderness. Arabia. And then Acts chapter 13 as they're ministering. To the Lord and they were fasting. The Holy Ghost speaks. How many people know that the Holy Ghost speaks? Some people don't even know there is a Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost speaks. And said separate me Barnabas and Saul. For the work whereon to have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. They sent them away. He was ready. Here's a life, and I don't like doing this, but it is have to do it for time. But here is a life from that point on, traveled over 10,000 miles by foot, by donkey, or by ship, nothing else. Three missionary journeys, preaching the gospel, seeing souls saved, churches planted, opposed, fought the beast of Ephesus, imprisoned, all manners of things were against him. Planted those churches with mighty signs and wonders. He records, as it were, in the space of just a few lines. And I tell you, friends, there must be so much more. But he records in Second Corinthians 11 and 23, he says, And labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. Night and day I've been in the deep. And journeys often. And pearls of water. And pearls of robbers. And pearls of mine own countrymen. And pearls by the heathen. And pearls in the city. And pearls in the wilderness. And pearls in the sea. And pearls among false brethren. Weariness painfulness and watchings and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and a nakedness and besides those things that are without that which come upon me daily the care of all the churches ever since that commissioning of Acts chapter 13 Paul the Apostle I want you to listen this morning Paul the Apostle how are you going to finish friend how are you going to finish Paul the Apostle picked up a baton. He must, I think, because he talks about running so much in the, in the epistles, he must perhaps, even as a young man, must have been a bit of a runner. And that's just a thought because he seems to refer to it so often and it's normal if something of your own personal life you can identify with something and you bring it out even in your testimony what we were and what we used to be. But Paul, perhaps, I could be wrong, it's okay, but perhaps he was a runner at some stage. But 
when he picked up that baton in Acts chapter 13, and when that man left Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, he left it with a commission and with a baton, and he began to run. And he run, and he run well. And he run, and he finished well. He had no idea how long his course would be. And neither do I, and neither do you. Do we? Do we know when the finishing line is? Christ could come or Christ could call. Could it be our last week? Is the line just before us? I believe as a people or as a church, I believe that we've just turned the last bend and we're just on the home straight. We're about to reach the finishing line. What is that? Christ is about to come. And Paul's running. Can you see him? Can you see him spiritually? Can you see him take off out of the starting blocks? Commissioned by God. Filled with the Holy Ghost. A purpose and a plan for his life. God had laid his hand upon him. And now he's going to run. But he's going to run well. He's going to be able to say at the end of it all. I have finished my course. There's something about the course. That I want to talk about the course. Do you know every life in this room, you have your course? Do you know that? Do you know that every Christian in this room, you're on a course? You have your course. You have a race to run. You have a life to live. You have a purpose that God has called you to. But something about the course, I want to say just for a few few, few things, I want to say about it. Number one, the course that everybody's on, your own course, but it always complements and works in unison with the rest of the body. Always. Always. All courses are heading the same way. That's Jesus. Sometimes I've been going along this course and I've looked out and seen someone going the other way. But we're all heading the same direction. And thirdly, I want to say this, nobody else, no one else on this planet of seven and a half billion people can run your course, only you. For a man to pen the words, I have finished my course, we often just think for a moment that, well, that's Paul just signing off. He's lived his life. His death's about to come. He's just about to say, well, I've just finished it and it's all done. But it's actually so much more than that. It wasn't just a number thing. What Paul is actually saying, I've lived a life and everything that he has planned for my life. Listen to this. I've completed. Can I ask you a question? A question that's been burning in my heart. Is it possible? Is it possible for a man or a woman, whoever you are this morning, to be able to say and to be able to do everything that God has planned for your life? Is it possible? Think about it. Is it actually possible that you can fulfill everything of what God has planned and purposed for your life? I'm here to tell you this morning, it is absolutely possible. You know that famous verse in Jeremiah 29 and 11 that's often quoted, rightly so, spoken over lives and hangs on walls. Jeremiah 29 and 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You know the word thoughts simply means plans, God God knows the plan that he has for your life, Jeff. God knows the plan that he has for your life, Gene. God knows the plan. God has a plan for your life, Caleb, for David. God has a plan for Patricia, for Jonathan, for Aisling, for Nick. God has a plan for your life. Do, do you believe that? God has a plan for... We, there is a song, isn't there? God's got a plan for my life, isn't there? Is it a kid's song? Think so good to sing it. God has a plan for my life. We teach that to the kids. Do we believe it as adults? 
that God has a plan for your life. God's plan, not my plan, but God's plan. Think about it for a God has a plan for my life. It's not haphazard. It's not just waving around somewhere all over the place but going nowhere. There actually is a sovereign God that has a plan for your life as an individual. Does that not encourage you? That there actually is a plan for your life. Paul grasped this revelation. He writes in Galatians, he said, that, that it pleased the Lord to separate me from my mother's womb and call me by his grace. Even before Acts chapter 9 and his encounter as a man who was complicit in the murder of Stephen, held the coats and so forth and was raddest living and, and blasphemer and a persecutor and did not understand or know until the grace of God saved him. And then he's able to write the words, actually, even before I got saved, God had a plan for my life. God actually had a plan for me. And some might say, but I'm not Paul. And you're not. Some might say, I'm not Paul the Apostle. I'm not called to that type of ministry or whatever. You may not be, but some may be. But I want to tell you, I heard a testimony recently. And I'll tell you, I was blessed with this. Really blessed. I heard of a woman who has, Gillian's not here, so she'll not panic. She's played the organ in her church for 50 years. Wow. She took a children's meeting midweek and she was part of a prayer group that prays for revival. And she's done it for 50 years. And they brought a wee cake out in the service, probably a wee Florence cake, and said, I'd like to give you a cake. I want to tell you, that's a lovely thing to do. But she's going to get the same crown that Paul got. She'll get the same crown. Because it is so that God had planned and purposed that that woman, that dear saint of God, would be faithful in what he had called her to be and do. And for 50 years she did it. I'm not saying Gillian's going to do it for 50 years. I'm just saying, but this woman did it. For 50 years she played that organ every week. Through the thick and through the thin, through the dark and through the bright and through other people that are and they weren't there, but she was faithful in what he purposed to do. She was faithful in a children's meeting and they give her a wee cake, but one day... She's going to receive a crown. See, God wants us to run a race. And God wants us to do what he's called us to do. God wants us to be faithful in where we are. An encourager, an intercessor, a children's worker. To serve, Judith makes me laugh because when she's on the media, she walks in and says, I haven't a clue what I'm doing. Every, every Sunday morning when she's on, I know what, what she's going to say. She's going to walk in and say, have no clue what I'm doing. But she does a great job. Mostly unseen or never heard. Maybe a pillar in the church that just stands and never moves. Maybe he doesn't say much. Maybe he doesn't talk much. Maybe you don't hear much from them. But just a pillar that stands in the church. I want to tell you, you'll receive the same crown as Paul. Maybe a giver to the Lord's work. Maybe a leader. Maybe a missionary. Maybe a missionary called to foreign fields. And God had birthed it and marked you when you were a child with this. And as you grew up and you get into your teen years, somehow that calling has fallen away and other things have come in. But let me tell you, the callings and the gifts of God are without repentance. And the baton might lie on the floor somewhere in a bedroom or in a house. And it might have been neglected, but God's calling on your life and the purpose of God and the plan of God hasn't changed. You might have changed it. You might have thought different. You might have made your plans. Many people have done that. Many people have said, I'll do it my way. 
And God then begins to disturb the nest and rack all your replants because God's got a plan for your life. And the batten's hid under the bed and the collar's buried somewhere underneath all the stuff of this life. And then God begins to shake the house and God begins to deal with the heart and God begins to draw it out again. And God says, I have a plan for your life. The hour is late. Time is running out. Time is one thing we don't have. Time is running out. And so we have a plan and God has a call and perhaps a missionary. You know, we plant it into the hearts of our children and we read the stories of the great missions and I believe we should because they're so encouraging, they're so rich and they're so real. Sadly, when so often they get up into their teen years and up even into their 20s, somehow or another subtly they are beginning to encourage them the other paths of life but the calling of God or the seed that God had purposed in that life to go into those foreign fields and stand for Jesus. And so often even we've heard as they get older, we've heard older ones belittle even the call of God, the missions. God's plan never changes. May God, may we encourage it, may we feed it, may we remind them of it, may we encourage them in the way that they should go. Because the only plan that matters is God's plan. Paul started to run, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and it was the souls of men and the planting of churches that was his passion. When he got to the end, he says, I fought a good fight. Nobody pens. You see, someday by God's grace, I pray that every one of us can write these words. I, and I believe you can, every person in this room, I finished my course. Is it possible? In 1 Corinthians, if you turn to it, verse 9, Paul talks about running. 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, sorry, and verse 24. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, and one receives the prize? So then he says, So run. He wants you to run that you might obtain. He wants you to actually make an effort in the calling of God and what you're running for. He says, put effort into this. Every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now, there's, there's a version of this I want to read so you understand that every athlete in training submits to strict discipline in order to be crowned with a wreath that will not last. There's a discipline in running. There's a discipline to be an athlete in the natural the time that's put in, the structure that's put in, the, the diet that's put in, the, the training that's put in, how many times a week you do it, all, all in order that in the natural that you want to run that race. Years ago, Stevie Nixon used to take us for football training. I, I never forget it. I still remember it. It's over in Beaver Forest. I could take you to the place up by the old graveyard, and there's a circuit, and one particular circuit, I know he knows what I'm talking about. You went round a bend, and then there was a really steep hill, and he'd have you go to the top. He was mustered. He'd have you go to the top, and he'd bring you round again, and he'd go, let's go, let's go, let's go, and he was way up that hill, and at the top of it, and he's a few years on me, but at the top, he's way ahead of everyone, and he get to the top, and after about the 15th time, you're stuck. You didn't know what was going to happen. Training, training, and fit, and effort, and all the discipline and the structure that goes in. And friends, Paul's saying an athlete will do all of this, but what for? There's something greater than this world. There's something more than all the things of this world. He says, run. He said, Run. Verse 26, he says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I know what I'm called to, I know what I'm in, and I'm going to run, and I'm going to finish.
He said in Philippians 2 and 16, I have not run in vain, neither have I labored in vain. He's able to say as he's approaching those final days, I've finished. You know, in the AD 60s, Paul was sitting in that prison. It was a really difficult time to be a believer. One of the most difficult times at this, in the church age that, that there has ever been. There'd be many difficult times. One of the books that every believer should read, and I dug it out again, I've been going over it, is the Fox's Book of Martyrs. You should read it. You should read it alongside your Bible. It gives you perspective. But the AD 60s was a very difficult time to be a believer. There was an emperor called Nero. He became the emperor. He was 17 years old when he became the emperor. He lived till he was 30. He was probably one of the most demon-possessed men that ever lived on this planet. The depths of sin, immorality, the wickedness of this man, you couldn't actually quote or go into some of the things that he went into. This time the church was growing rapidly. Paul's now in prison. The church in some way had a covering because it was still seen as a sect of the Jews. So there was a certain amount of leeway within that that they were able to flourish. But this man, Nero, caused or started, they say, the great fire of Rome in AD 64. He just was rampant destruction. His own city he wanted to destroy. At the end of it, there was a great revolt against him. So he devised a plan to say, it wasn't me. It was the Christians. Suddenly there was a turn, this antichrist, demonic man turned the whole situation that the Christians were brutally, it is unimaginable, it is so powerful to read. You cannot read it and stop for a moment and go, my God, these are our brothers and sisters. They would put the, the coats of beasts upon the believers and throw them into wild dogs. They would put shirts, waxed shirts that were it had wax all over them and they would raise up the believers on posts and set them in fire that they would have their dinner parties. Believers, born again brothers and sisters, one day we'll meet with them. Brutal. Now Paul is sitting in this cell. There is an historian, he is credible, as recorded, that says that two soldiers came to take Paul find him in his cell, come to take him, to execute him. The two men stopped and stood over Paul and said, Paul, would you pray for us that we would believe? Think about it. Paul the Apostle says, I'll not only pray for you that believe, but you will believe and you'll be baptized at my sepulcher. Credible historian. These two men led him out to the place where he was to be beheaded. He had just finished his letter to Timothy a short time before that. Set the apostle down. They raised their sword. They severed his head from his body. I want to tell you something. He was long dead before they beheaded him. He was long dead before they beheaded him. For me to live as Christ, he said, listen, and to die is gain. To die is far better. Paul says in Hebrews 12, another well-known couple of verses, and I believe he's the writer of Hebrews, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. We've got to get rid of the weights. Remember, they're not the sin, but they're the weights that are going to hinder your race. It's hard. I know I see some running around now that have their sex on, they're filled with bricks and everything else that really try and do the job. Fair play to them. <laughs> That's all I say. <laughs> Go for it. My knees and hips wouldn't do it. That's just the way it is. But there's another race I'm going to run. He said, last side of the weights. What are the weights? Saint of God this morning, just listen. What are the weights? 
I can't point them out in you because I have to, by the Holy Ghost, work out what those weights are in my heart. But I do know that I need to take time for a moment. What are the weights? What are the distractions? What are the things that are causing you not to run? What are the hindrances in your life that you're not running away? You know you should be running. What are the things that have come into your life? They're maybe not sinful. They're, they're not things that are really bad. But things that come into your life and they begin to weigh you down. And you're not running like you used to run. You used to run well. Hey, you used to run well. There used to be a spring in your step about the things of God. There used to be a joy. There used to be a praise. There used to be a shout. There used to be a fervency. There used to be a real burning in your heart for revival. There used to be a cry. There used to be a call. There used to be a pursuing after the things of God. There used to be such an authority and a boldness as a Christian to stand for Jesus. But you know what's happened? Weights. Things have happened. Things suddenly have come into your life. And now it's just not the same. You're not running the same. You're not running with no weights. You're trying to trail through it. You're trying to get through. You're trying your best. But there's weights. There's weights in your life. There's weights in your mind. There's weights in your heart. There's weights in your race. And you're not running like you used to run. Do you want to run? No, do you want to run? Do you want to take off this morning and say, I'm going to run for Jesus? I can see Paul coming down those roads. I can see all the opposition. I can see the religious sex. I can see the I can see the immorality. But I see a man possessed of God coming out of a wilderness, and he's running for Jesus. What has weighed you down? The curves of the world, thorns that come up to choke the word of God. He said, "Let us, let us lay aside every." He didn't say some weights. Look what he said. He said every weight. What's weighing you down, saint? What is holding you down? What is holding you from running? And then he said, and the sin. I wonder if Paul's gospel appreciated in the modern church. Imagine preaching this. In the day when we've got all the soothsayers and we've got all the tickling ears. I'm going into the church of Jesus Christ and praying. You gotta lay aside the sin. You gotta lay aside the weights. You gotta get that sin sorted out in your heart. That's a preacher that cares for people. Not in this church. Not in this fellowship. We'll only have certain types of preachers that preach love, grace. That's it. Sad friends, I tell you, that's the most of what we're looking at today. And the sin that so easily besets us, gets us. The old sin that gets in, the old things in the heart, even the things not so much that are seen, but the things that are not seen. The, the things of the heart, the, the, the things that are sowing into the heart, the, the bitterness or the unforgiveness or the loose tongue or the gossip, things are sinful in the eyes of God. You know what they do? They hinder your race. But nobody knows. God knows. So the fire is dumping down. The fire is nearly out. And Paul's saying, listen, deal with these things and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us look to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down in the right hand of the throne of God. Are you wanting to run? Let me say a few things. I believe these things are true, absolute true. I believe that every life in this room and those that are listening, even online this morning, can't be here. But I believe that every life in this room has a plan. God has a plan for their life. Every life. Not just some. Every life in this room precious to God. Do you believe that? You might have heard that a million times. I've heard that. I've heard. But you've never entered into the fullness of that plan. It never goes beyond the foundation. The foundation is simply this. You must be born again. 
You must be saved. You must know Christ as your own person. You must be born again. That life has a purpose. A course is mapped out by the Holy Ghost from beginning to the end. I really don't know how much more time we have, do you? I don't think we've much. Paul said these things. Everything that I once counted gain, I count them loss for Jesus Christ. Actually, he went on to say, I count them all but dung. You know, there's such a thing in running. I didn't experience it much. I don't think I've ever experienced it. It was called a second wind. I just was winded. I just didn't get, I never came. I was waiting on it. And people said, get your second wind. And the second wind never came. But there's such a thing, as not it right, Stephen? A second wind. Have you ever seen it when those prime athletes are going round? And the boy's been away out in front for ages and he's blattering away there and he's near. And then there's somebody all of a sudden breaks through from the back and they get their second wind. And all of a sudden something comes into them. It's like, where does that come from? Whether it's an adrenaline rush, whether it's something that's been reserved. And all of a sudden you just see them take off when they see the finishing line. Do you know, I honestly am believing there's a second wind for the church. I really do believe it. At the minute, it's winded. And at the minute, it seems it's taken on a lot of blows. And it's tired. And it's weary. And it's not really sure what it's all about. It doesn't know what the race is. And there's confusion. And there's fear. Some are in the race. Some are at the side of the track. Some have taken cramp. Some are lying down. Some are bent over. Some don't know where to turn. Some are running back. Some have forgot that we're all in the same team. Some are running that way. They've got a new wind, a new doctrine, a new idea, a new thing. And they're running that. And you're just, we're going this way. No, I'm going this way. But God will bring them back. But there's a second wind. It's the final outpouring of the Spirit of God for the church of Jesus Christ. When the wind of God blows. And he, and he arrests his people and they rise up together and they begin to run. He deals with the sin of the heart and the things and the unbelief and the weights that are laying the church down. Friends, in the midst of it all, not totally, but I just want to be very honest this morning. In all that's been happening, the church has been absolutely powerless. Oh, I know we've had our meetings. I don't think Paul would be in the faith for him, by the way. That's my opinion. I don't think he'd be anywhere near it. He wouldn't be an ecumenical. He wouldn't be sitting down with priests and everything else trying to decide what's the best thing to do. Paul wouldn't be there. He'd be out preaching the gospel. But we don't have long. But how are you going to finish? How are you going to finish? You know, some might look back and say, and Lyd was honest this morning when she stood, and I can say amen to a lot of what she said. Oh, if only I'd have started much earlier and really went for it when I was much younger and not waste so much. But I want to tell you something. There's some great news, some great news for the church. Some might be sitting here to say, I don't think I've even started running yet. Some might even say, I've fallen. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Then verse 24 says this, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. You might have fallen. I want to tell you some great news this morning. You can get up. That's the grace of God. Some may be sitting here this morning and say, but I've slipped up. The psalmist says in Psalm 94 and verse 18, When I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. There's mercy. Some may say this morning, but I am absolutely wearied out with this. I'm bowed over. I'm tired. Tim, you're talking about running. It's just a miracle I'm even here this morning. The Bible says, The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down. You can run. 
And maybe you're saying, Tim, I can't tell you many times I've fallen. The Bible says, For a just man falleth seven times, but he's raised up again. I want to tell you, friend, we need to run. We need to run. But we need to run the way Paul run. He run in the power of the Holy Ghost. He run not a natural race with the arm of flesh. For how many know that the arm of flesh will fail us? Many people have tried to do it in the flesh. I'd be my first hand up, by the way. There's about five of us. <laughs> we tried it. Nicky will tell you. Try to do it in your own strength. Try to do it with the power of your own flesh. Do you know what? It's terrible. Down again. But it's the power of the Holy Ghost is the answer. Do you want to finish well? Saints, I'm asking you a question this morning. Do you want to finish well? How will you finish? How will you finish? Get the baton and run. Run. I tell you, friends, I honestly, and I know you're the same, I don't believe with much time. But I want to finish well. I want to finish well. There's too many funerals today. You know what they say? It started out well. But you know what's important? It's not how you started out. It's how you're going to finish. I want to tell you, friends, I believe the church is going to finish well. There's a finishing line. It's Christ. We need to run. We need to get rid of the weights. We need to sort out the sin. But we need to run. And we need to finish. Do you want to run? Do you want to run? This is a spiritual run. Do you want to run for Jesus? Listen, if I could this morning and I was nearly tempted, I'd run up and down this building. And you're laughing and I'd use Davy Woods as a backup relay team. <laughs> and Stephen, he still got it. He'd burn us out in about three minutes. But friends, we've got to run. There's souls to be saved. Listen, there's churches to be planted. There's a lot of battens that have been buried in the cupboard. Collins that came as a young girl, burned into their hearts, passionate Collins for missions. Used to be a great theme in this church, always speaking about missions, foreign missions, foreign nations, foreign people. Burning in the hearts, getting it into our young ones. May it be a day. Remember Maggie Smith, way back in the years gone by, that was through the story, but how she impressed us in those early days a woman from Balna Hinch that left, and nobody left Balna Hinch and about to India to serve the Lord. Died out there after five or six years with the work of the Lord done through her life. How impressed is this what it's about? Not making a name for us, but making a name for Jesus. Burned it into their hearts. And what's happened, friends? What has happened? There's battens and callings. You know what they've done with them? They've been buried. It's such a tragedy. Because you can remember, and you can remember the callings that were on those lives, and today, somewhere, they've all been buried. I want to tell you something. You can dig out that baton, and you can run today. You might have to make a few tough decisions. I'm going to tell you it'll be worth it when you meet him. You see, that's what it's all about in the end. That's what it's all about. When you stand before him, you know, I think there'll be a woman on the organ. Boy, there she's standing, Paul the Apostle, and there'll be a woman there. What do you do? You called me to play the organ for 50 years. Go to a prayer meeting and take a children's meeting. Here's your cry. Your faith. <coughs> God help us to do what he's called us to do. All together, point the same way, but we've got to run. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. Friends, I know we talk about it and we believe it, but we need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. We have a lot of things. We have a great building. 
and it's going to be there. And thank God, when we raised up, I tell you, friends, a bit of bulldozer through God's not there. He needs to be there. We don't want an ore brick in that building unless God's leading the way, and He is. As friends, that day, I heard a preacher say last week, what a message. He says that Ichabod's being written over most of the church in Northern Ireland right at this very moment. I tell you, I'd run cold when he said it, but he's right. He's right. We've got to run. I want to run. Do you? I want to finish well. I want to finish well. You can finish well. Whatever's been behind, you can forget those things which are behind, and you can get up this morning and run. Let's pray to you. Thank you.